It's late on a Tuesday night. I was going to wrap up things and post the podcast until I realized something. There were some technical issues in it, and I could have just posted it and gone to bed in the offseason. But that's not how we do things here on Locked On MLB. Locked on MLB, your daily MLB podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, live streamers and hello, baseball fans and hello, people listening to me on the YouTubes and on your podcasting catchers. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. Yeah, even in the offseason. We talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am your host. A Well, I don't think I'm a perfectionist, but I know what I want, and I want to deliver it to you. Who am I? I'm Paul Francis Sullivan. You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been baseball podcasting for over a decade now and just finished four finished completed seasons here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods. On Twitter and on Instagram, you follow me on Twitter as long as Twitter's still around. I will be there. Can't figure out that mastodon. Uh, I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Be sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB and check out some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On Pirates with our friend of the podcast, Ethan Smith. Now, why did I pick Ethan right now? Because Ethan and I recorded earlier today. And unbeknownst to me, there was a gigantic tech problem with the sound that I couldn't hear when it was happening. And Ethan posted the show on the Lockdown Pirates feed. So if you want to hear it, it's on the Lockdown Pirates feed. But I got really, when I heard the, the sound issues that I was having, and we were actually having modem issues here in my home, I felt really i felt badly i felt badly that ethan and i recorded a very good show it was a lot of fun but i was like yeah it doesn't sound very good and i thought well i you know record it better post it I said no 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 you all deserve better so that show does exist it's not wasted it's on the lockdown pirates feed if you want to hear it subscribe to lockdown pirates i have and you can listen to that show which i'm calling the lost episode Locked on, but it's not lost. It exists. It's published. It's published on a different feed. But I've decided to give you a brand new show right now. I don't have a guest. It's too late to book a guest for today. Uh, I got uh, another podcast that is going to be dropping on. This one's dropping on Wednesday, the twenty third. Um, I got one that is already recorded for Thanksgiving, and one's already recorded for Friday. So you know, I just wanted to get this right. I didn't want to have a something I felt badly about. It's quality control. Hey, uh, let's take a quick peek at some of the stuff that's happening in baseball right now. Hunter Renfro. Remember Hunter Renfro? Hunter Renfro was traded to the Angels. He has been, he's played for a bunch of teams. He has bounced around a little bit. He played for the Red Sox for an hour and a half, long enough to become a little bit of a fan favorite because he wound up playing well in the uh, for a team that got, to within two wins of the World Series. 
Uh, the Padre, the former Padres player, played uh, in for the uh, 2020 Tampa Bay Rays. Played in the World Series with the Rays. Um, got a couple of key hits in the uh, series against Tampa. His former teammate in Tampa Bay, including that weird ball that ricocheted off of him in the American League Division Series. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, had a terrible ALCS. For Boston in against the um, against the Astros was traded in Milwaukee for Jackie Bradley Jr. When Jackie Bradley Jr. made his return to the Red Sox, and now it looks like he's been traded to the Angels. And the trade for the Angels meant that the um, the Brewers are getting Elvis Pagaro, a young uh, right-handed pitcher who pitched a little bit in the in the majors, uh, Adam Seminaris, who is a minor leaguer who pitched very well in single A, has made it all the way up to triple A, and Jansen Junk. And look at Jansen Junk only played a handful of games in the major leagues for the the Angels. He's now off to Milwaukee. What a name, Jansen Junk. I mean, doesn't that sound like – that sounds like either like uh, a, a name you would hear in like hardball or a – video game for baseball where they couldn't get the rights to the players and they need someone to be a junk ball pitcher. So like the 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 avatar for Jamie Moyer would be Jansen Junk, a junk ball pitcher. I love that name. First of all, I love alliteration. <clears throat> I think junk is a funny sounding word. Jansen Junk, there you go. It's a I, I mean it's a fine trade for the Angels. I mean Hunter Renfro seems like he'll be a I mean, is, will, will he be a good fit? Sure. Sure. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. You know, the Angels are are doing a bunch of things. I mean, they acquired Renfro. Um, they've been a little bit aggressive. They, they, they signed Tyler Anderson to a three-year contract. Remember, Tyler Anderson had a was an all-star this year for the Dodgers and was a you know a big reason why they had one of the best regular seasons in their team's history, he pitched pretty well. He pitched, I mean, he pitched five shutout innings in his lone uh, start in the in the postseason against San Diego. Remember, um, Tyler Anderson was someone who was um, brought in. It was a first round pick for the Rockies, and was kind of looked upon as like, hey, maybe this is someone who could be developed. When the Rockies, remember, the Rockies were actually pretty good. In 2017 and 2018, you know, they were, they made the playoffs both of those years. If they won one more game, if the Rockies won one more GD game in 2018, they would have been a division champion and had been in a pretty good setup to maybe get to the league championship series. Instead, they tied the Dodgers, lost the one-game playoff, and they wound up losing. They wound up winning the wildcard game against the Cubs getting thumped by Milwaukee. And since then, he's been nomadic. He played for the Giants in 2020, split his time between Pittsburgh and Seattle in 2021. Last year, he had the best, he had his <clears throat> a career year with the Dodgers. And now off he goes to the Angels. And the Angels kind of sort of have to do everything. They're adding a little bit of offense to their uh, outfield. You know, we think of the Angels of having, you know, two MVPs on their team. Their offense, other than Trout and Otani, was pretty rotten last year. So maybe Runfro is an improvement. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, Tyler Anderson can pitch. So obviously he does something that other members of the Angels can't do. The Angels have to do something. They have to do something. Because they have the most dynamic player in baseball in Otani and the best player in baseball in Trout. And they stink. I think they need to change the manager because I don't think that Phil Nevin's a long-term solution. But they just stink. And they need to try a little bit of everything as they're playing whack-a-mole. You know, you'd hate to see Trout be someone who plays his entire career of a team and never sniffs a World Series. But, you know, you know, he's this is he's been there for a decade now. And so they have to try a little bit of this and a little bit of that to try to somehow make a sauce that'll work well with Trout. Speaking of MVPs who've never won a World Series, Aaron Judge is, while I'm recording this, is in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's from Northern California. Just so you know, not everything north of Los Angeles is the Bay Area. But Aaron Judge is close enough to the Bay Area that he will be embraced as if he is Ghirardelli Chocolate and Fisherman's Wharf and Haight-Ashbury rolled into one and sent down to Silicon Valley to be put into the cloud if he signs with the San Francisco Giants. Giants are as good a landing spot as any for Aaron Judge. I still think L.A. is a truly intriguing spot. I don't think he's leaving the Yankees. But then again, I've been dead wrong before on lots of free agents. And he could be looking around going like, you know what? I have a better chance of getting to the World Series if I'm in San Francisco or Los Angeles because of the dysfunctional front office. You got a dysfunctional front office in Anaheim. You got a dysfunctional front office in the Bronx. And with all the talent and everything they have there, does anyone think the Yankees are going to go to the World Series next year? Probably not. And maybe that's what he's saying. It's his right to do it. Now, I think the Yankees would be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs if they let him go, if they skedaddle. But, hey, good for Aaron Judge for betting on himself. That doesn't always work. Nomar Garcia Parra turned down a huge contract from the Red Sox, betting on himself, and injuries caught up with him. No one's going to cry for Nomar. He's a millionaire many times over, but he never got that big, huge honking deal. Same thing for Juan Gonzalez. Remember Juan Gonzalez won the MVP two times and then was offered a big, huge Brinks truck contract from the Rangers? And he said, no, I'm going to test free agency. It didn't work out well for him. He never got that big chance again. Sometimes you bet on yourself, it doesn't work. Sometimes you bet on yourself, and it you know it, it doesn't work, and sometimes it works out great. And sometimes you play it safe. And by the way, at this time of the year, it's time to think about safety and simply safe. Did you know over the holidays, property crimes and like burglaries and package thefts spiked nationally? That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are offering 50% off their award-winning security system. So the more families can feel safe and secure this holiday season, order your Simply Safe system for half off today and enjoy advanced security and greater peace of mind this holiday season. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report the third year in a row. And emergency 24/7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence. And verify that the threat is real so you can get priority police response. Simply Safe is home security 
with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. With a top-rated SimpliSafe app, stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere, arm or disarm, lock for guests, access your cameras, or adjust the settings. Don't miss your chance to save big on the best security system out there. Get 50% off of any new SimpliSafe system at simplysafe.com slash MLB. It's the biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash MLB. For those of you who listen to this show a lot, as I kept saying, betting on, betting on, betting on, how many of you thought I was about to go into the bet online read? I juked you out there. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to bring up something that I've... I first wrote about this about 12 years ago when I just had a blog. I didn't have a a full-fledged podcast at that point. But I've always fascinated by postseason MVPs. And I talked a little bit this year about the fact that Jeremy Pena, who had a wonderful season and a wonderful postseason, got the key home run to sink the Seattle Mariners in the division series, was the ALCS MVP against the New York Yankees and helped the Astros clinch the World Series against Philadelphia. And Jeremy Pena joined a unique fraternity of players who have won the League Championship Series and World Series MVP in the same year. And there is no doubt in my mind that Jeremy Pena was the MVP of the Astros this postseason. That being said... As I said before, I felt that Framber Valdez should have been the World Series MVP. Why? His two performances came at critical points. He pitched wonderfully in games two and in the clinching game six, giving critical wins to the Astros, of which if he came up short in either end, it is a much different World Series. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Jeremy Pena, But I truly thought the most valuable player for the Astros was Valdez. Now, that may be nitpicking, and the champagne tastes just as nice, I'm sure, for Valdez as it is for Pena. But the MVP is the person who kind of put their biggest thumbprint on the series. As the person you think of as the great hero of that series. And it's funny, there have been some all-time great players who have never won the MVP, some who have World Series rings. The Just to be clear, the World Series MVP, <clears throat> as we now have it, uh, began in the mid-1950s. There were awards that were given out beforehand. I don't have those stats in front of me. So I'm just starting from the, the current incarnation of postseason MVPs. Started in 1955 with the Brooklyn Dodgers' Johnny Padres winning. The next year went to Don Larson, who threw the perfect game. You know, kind of, sort of, easy pick there. By the way, if Christian Javier pitched Game 7, if there was a Game 7, if he pitched well and got the win in Game 7, you would have to give it to him because he started the second no-hitter in World Series history. I digress. Um, Along the way, there have been times where some truly unlikely players have won. There have been some obscure players who have won the World Series MVP or the League Championship Series MVP award. Um, 
not a lot of people knew who Randy Orozarena was when he the the American League Championship Series started in 2020. Not a lot of people knew who Levon Hernandez was when the strike zone was expanded by Eric Gregg. Um, there have been some obscure ones, and there have been superstars. Hall of Famers have won League Championship Series and World Series MVPs. Frank Robinson won it one year. Derek Jeter won it one year. Mariana Rivera won it one year. Reggie Jackson won it with two different teams, the A's and the Yankees. Now, sometimes they get it completely right. There's no getting around. Oral Hershiser was the MVP of the 1988 World Series. Or that Madison Bumgarner was in 2014. Sometimes it's just dominant. Sometimes it seems like a team effort. And the person who winds up winning is, yeah, give it to them. But, excuse me, could have probably gone to several Cubs in 2016 along with Ben Zobrist. Sometimes they just get it wrong. Sometimes they whiff. Sometimes there's someone who I think, wait a minute. This other person is clearly the most valuable player, and they're not getting it. Excuse my cough there, video people. Now, let's just go back a little trip down memory lane and nitpick. Because, you know what? Sometimes it's good to nitpick and point out some of the people who should have won. And I'm going to go all the way back to 1960. Now, the actual winner of the 1960 World Series MVP was Yankee second baseman Bobby Richardson. He had a tremendous series. He batted 367. His OPS was 1.0454, but they didn't know that in 1960. He got 11 hits in seven games, and he drove in 12 runs in seven games. That's unbelievable. Here's the reason why, even though his stats were spectacular, the Yankees lost that series. And it was the first time, and so far the only time, the World Series MVP went to a player on the losing team. And look at as wonderful as Bobby Richardson's uh, series was, it was a bizarre World Series where the Yankees outplayed the Pirates left and right in every facet of the World Series, except wins. The Yankees won three blowout games, and the Pirates won four close ones. And I I hate to sound like Scrooge here, but if your team loses the World Series, then there was someone on the other team who was more valuable. Now, I will contradict that because there are two instances later on where I felt giving the MVP to a player on the losing team was the right thing to do. But in this case, Richardson piled on in some of the blowout games, and Bill Mazeroski batted 320, his OPS was uh, 960, was a a tremendous defensive presence in the infield, and he hit two home runs. And I think if you're a baseball historian, you know, the second home run he hit clinched the World Series. And it remains the only time that Game 7 of a World Series was won with a home run. That's your most valuable player. Not the person padding the stats in a blowout, but the one who actually clinched it. Again, Mazeroski, I'm sure, was fine with the, uh, I guess, the consolation prize of a World Series ring and eventually a trip to the Hall of Fame. I'm going to go to 1969. 
The Miracle Mets, Don Clendenin won the MVP as the Mets defeated the Orioles and still one of the most shocking World Series results of all time. Again, there's no doubt Clendenin had a remarkable series at the plate. He homered three times in five games. He batted 357. His OPS was 1.509. He was fantastic. However, I think there was someone who outshone him, and that was Jerry Kuzman. Jerry Kuzman pitched a critical Game 2 victory. The Orioles had beaten Tom Seaver in Game 1, and after if and everyone was predicting that Baltimore was going to win that series. Seaver losing Game 1, if the Mets lose Game 2, and the Orioles would probably steamroll to the World Series title. But Kuzman won game two, and then after a game four thriller, Kuzman came in and threw a complete game victory in the clinching game five, being the pitcher on the mound to win. Now, maybe the MVP voters were eager to award a hitter because they were always these, the MVP awards in the World Series seemed to always go to a, a dominant pitcher, whether it was Bob Gibson or Sandy Koufax or Mickey Lolich, the only between, uh, and Whitey Ford, between 1961 and 1969, Don Clendenin and Frank Robinson were the only hitters to win a World Series MVP. So maybe it was like, all right, enough with all the pitchers. But you know what? Kuzman should have won that. 1978 is interesting. Bucky Dent won the World Series MVP. And maybe there was lingering hero worship after the Dent home run against Boston. Or maybe he got a couple of key RBIs in game six that padded the stats. But the colossus of that World Series was Reggie Jackson. The year before his home run sunk the Dodgers, Bob Welch struck out Jackson in a memorable ending of game two. He won games the entire series with singles to prolong rally. He got a key home run. He, he homered twice. He batted 391, and his OPS is 1.196. He should have been the World Series MVP. Again, using the Cohen Brothers rule, which is if someone's already won multiple awards, I can't cry. They don't pad their resume. But Reggie would have been the first person to win back-to-back World Series MVPs. Quite frankly, I think he earned it. No offense to Bucky Dent. Oh, wait a minute. I'm a native New Englander. All the offense to Bucky Dent. By the way, native New Englander that I am, Fred Lynn is one of my favorite players of all time, and he won the 1982 American League Championship Series. And again, his stats were obscene. He batted 6-11 in the five-game series for the Angels. His OPS was 1.539. But say it with me. The Angels lost. They lost. Which means that someone on the Brewers was doing something to lead his team. And that person, I think, was Paul Molitor, who batted 316 with a 1.065 OPS. He drove in as many runs as Lynn, and then he wound up getting a huge home run off of Mike Witt in Game 3. And game uh, he drove in the series-tying run in uh, – he drove the winning run in the series-tying Game 4 – and went two for three with a run scored in the pennant clincher. Look at no offense, Fred Lynn, I love you. But Molitor should have gotten that. Now, 
the one um, this is one that they did get right. Mike Scott is the first of the two uh, playoff MVPs for losing teams that I think they got the right person. Mike Scott was on a losing Astros team in 1986, and the Astros didn't even get to game seven. But Mike Scott, scuffing the ball or not, got complete game victories in games one and four and was ready to go in game seven. And that game seven, game six was a 16-inning marathon where the Mets had to win because they know they wouldn't be able to face their former teammate, Mike Scott, in a game seven. So I believe he towered over that World Series or over that League Championship Series with everyone knowing that his winning would clinch a pennant for the Astros. So I did agree. That's one that they did get right. I'll get to the other one later who they didn't give it to a uh, player on the losing team. Um, 1987 was interesting because, well, the postseason MVP awards for the League Championship Series, National League, American League, and World Series, I felt were all wrong. All of them were wrong. In the ALCS, it was a little bit of first impression bias. Gary Gaetti hit two home runs in the opening game for the Twins against the Tigers, and the Tigers were put on their heels and the Twins won the series in five. But guess what? Gaetti cooled down after the two-home run opener, and Tom Brunanski heated up. He matched Gaetti's home run total. He outhit him. Brunanski batted 412. Gaetti batted 300. Uh, Brunanski had a better OPS, 1.542 to Gaetti's 998. Brunanski drove in more runs. And in the clinching game five, Brunanski started the scoring with an RBI double in the second and then homered in the ninth. And they still gave it not one stat did Gaetti top Brunanski. And Brunanski was hottest on the road, and yet they gave it to Gaetti. Go figure. Meanwhile, in the National League, Jeffrey Leonard, with one flap down, hitting four home runs for the Giants, got the League Championship Series MVP. But say it with me, the Giants lost. And Leonard was a no-show as the Giants were completely shut out in Game 6 and 7. Game 7 was won by Danny Cox to a complete game victory and got a hard-luck loss in Game 4, which he lost one nothing. Cox was the MVP of that series. And in the World Series, they gave it to Frank Viola of the Twins, who undeniably was great in Games 1 and in the clinching Game 7, but he got hammered in Game 4. He didn't even make it out of the 4th. A series MVP should make it out of the fourth. Kirby Puckett batted 357, got 10 hits, and he got the key double that tied game seven of the World Series, taking Frank Viola off the hook of what would have been his second World Series loss. But do you know what? I guess they just put all their money on Frank Viola pitching so beautifully in that clinching game. And I bet it would be a surefire bet that any player who pitched so beautifully in the clinching game was going to get the MVP because that's how people look at him. If you're going to make any bets, guess where you should go? You should go to Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. The latest odds and trends in every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball, soccer, esports. You got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can get those at BetOnline as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. 
Bet online is where the game starts. Let's go over some of the other ones here. Some are kind of nitpicky. Jose Rio was brilliant in games one and four of the 1990 World Series. I think the fact that Billy Hatcher batted 625 with an OPS over 2.0 and the fact that Chris Sabo hit two huge home runs to put the Reds ahead probably earned them the World Series MVP. But, you know, give it to Rio. Now, I'm just going to bring me to 1997, where I'll say it. Oh, let me get rid of this here. I will say, in 1997, we had the single worst World Series MVP ever, ever, ever. Levon Hernandez, whose entire reputation being a big game pitcher is based upon the fact that Eric Gregg's strike zone was insane. I'll say it. He won two games in the World Series. Good for you. And one of them, he pitched eight innings. Great. But he was mediocre in his first game. And his World Series ERA was 5.27. Your World Series MVP has an ERA in the fives? In games where he got gigantic run support? Come on. The MVP of that World Series was hands down. Moises Alou, who batted 321. His OPS was over 1,000. He hit three home runs. He drove in nine in seven games. He got the huge three-run home run in game one, got a huge run batted in game five, and hit the single that sparked the rally in the ninth inning comeback of game seven. I remember watching that World Series. This is the Moises Alou coronation. But nope, nope, went to Levon Hernandez. <clears throat> now, his brother, El Duque Hernandez, won the ALCS MVP in 1999 against the Red Sox. I personally would have given it to Ramiro Mendoza. Yes, Mendoza only pitched two games out of the bullpen, but those were two games where the series was on the line. With the bases loaded, one out in the eighth inning, and the Yankees clinging to a one-run lead, Mendoza came out of the bullpen and struck out Husky and Offerman to get the, or got Offerman to get him out to end a critical rally, same situation in game five where the Red Sox were rallying and the specter of Pedro Martinez start coming up and Torrey had him come out and and he got out of the rally. And in fact, Torrey saw what a great series he had. It was Mendoza who clinched the World Series out. Um, In 2001, Craig Council had a wonderful series. But come on, Randy Johnson, who threw a complete game shutout in game one and then pitch the clincher game against Tom Glavin. If you beat both Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin in the same series, you're the MVP of that series. Now, it's funny. The uh, Another one of the real head scratchers, like Brunanski not winning and Gaetti getting the, uh, uh, the MVP award, happened with the 2005 White Sox. Paul Canerco won the... ALCS MVP. Okay, fine. And he got some big home runs against the Angels. But Joe Creedy topped Conerco in almost every category and had some big hits, including the walk-off double in game two after the weird A.J. Perzinski shenanigans. He had the two-run single in game four that put the game out of reach. In the clinching, he got the go-ahead hit in the second, a game-tying home run in the seventh, and drove in the pennant-winning run in the eighth. And he had better stats than he had all those key hits and better stats than Canerco. 
and yet it was Canerica who won this MVP. Matt Garza won the ALCS MVP for the 2008 Rays. Um, and again, he beat the Red Sox twice, including the Game 7 clincher. But the Rays beat the Red Sox because of their bats. And their bats went berserk in Games 2, 3, and 4. And it was, at the time, B.J. Upton. Later became, uh, was it Melvin Upton Jr.? Uh, he batted 321. His OPS was over 1,000. He homered four times. He drove in 11 runs in seven games. I'm sorry. That award belonged to B.J. Upton, not to Matt Garza. Which brings us to, I think, the most egregious recent bad decisions in a postseason MVP. Uh, and worse than the uh, what we saw this year with... Uh, um, with uh, uh, Framber Valdez not getting the World Series MVP. And that was Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig did not win the NLCS MVP in 2018, despite getting the huge back-breaking home run to help sink the Brewers, despite batting 333, despite having an OPS of 983. It went to Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, who, again, got a couple of key hits, I'll grant you, but he also got, I mean, he batted 200, okay? Again, I know batting average is not the end-all, be-all, but if he got one fewer hit, he'd be below the Mendoza line in a seven-game series. Fine. His on-base percentage was 231, okay? His OPS was 591. He drove in four runs with his single home run, and he had two extra base hits the entire series. Bellinger had a couple of good games and had an okay series, and he was the MVP over Yasiel Puig. I don't understand. I don't always understand. And then came Valdez. There were some years where they gave multiple MVPs. Um, I always think that's a little bit of cheating, but there you go. The only other one I'll bring up, it's the only other time that I think the World Series MVP should have gone to a player on the losing team was Barry Bonds in the 2002 World Series. Like how Mike Scott loomed over that series for the against the Mets. Look at Troy Glaus won the the World Series MVP that year. There's no getting around Troy Glaus had a fantastic World Series. His OPS was over 1.3, hit three home runs, drove in eight runs, got the key hit in the uh, game six comeback. I get it. I get it. Bonds. You like batting average? He batted 471. You like on-base percentage? His on-base percentage was 700. He got on base seven out of every 10 times. His OPS was almost 2,000 in a seven-game series. He homered twice. He reached base in a seven-game series. Say it with me, folks. 21 times. He reached base 21 times in a seven-game series. That's how you get an on-base percentage of 700. If that's not an MVP, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Maybe I'm an MVP of podcasting because I listened to the bad audio and I said, I need to do something. And I remember this is a topic I've been thinking a little bit about. And I figured, why not share it with you all? It's the off season. 
It's a time for discussions. Has there been a time that you remember that the postseason MVP went to the absolute wrong person? Let me know. Send it to me at LockdownMLB uh, Pods on Twitter, on Instagram. Send it to me at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And hey, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen. What should your second listen be? Well, let me tell you. Your second listen should be Locked On MLB Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts insight that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today. It's available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming in to make sure that you have the best sounding podcast that I can give you. Hopefully there's no sound issues on this one. I don't have the energy to do a third today. This has been Locked On MLB for the 23rd day of November 2022. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.